If somebody were to ask me if I could fill in for Mr. Scott White and, and take uh, the flights that he's responsible for this week because he can't make them, I would look at you and say that you were crazy. And the reason I would do that is because you'd be crazy to ask me to fly a plane and put a whole bunch of passengers at risk doing something that I am absolutely clueless about. The same would be true if I were asked to replace any number of our, our people here this morning that are in the healthcare field, the, the medical field, to, to say, hey, I can't make my shifts this week. Pastor, would you mind just going ahead and, and filling in for me? I'd say you're crazy because you would be to, to allow me to be the person responsible for other people's lives. This morning, though, when we talk about ministry or service, the distinction is that we're not talking about something that God has called us to do that we are ill-equipped to do. The ministry that he calls us to is the very thing that he qualifies us for as well. And we have the opportunity to look at the example of God calling Moses into ministry or service to him as well. And the prayer is that as we look at Moses' interaction with God this morning, we would have the right focus for confidence in carrying out the ministry that he has given to each of us as well. It must have been pretty amazing. Amazing to witness what Moses did as he was shepherding in Midian and, and suddenly take hold of this bush that was on fire, but it didn't burn up. I've never experienced anything like that. Neither have you, I'm sure. Maybe it was something akin to, to watching a, a fake log gas fireplace and you see the flames over it and the wood all stays the same, nothing changes, but the flames keep burning. I like to think it was a little more impressive than that, probably, what Moses witnessed. And so we understand that Moses went over to inspect, to look more at this bush that was on fire but wasn't burning up because we're not used to seeing things that are on fire but don't burn up. This must have been quite amazing. But then just as soon as Moses had experienced this amazing uh, visual aid, that amazement turned to terror. And we know exactly why as we look back to that section from Exodus chapter 3. Verse 4 tells us, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. See how quickly that curiosity shifted into cowardice. He was amazed at this sight and then he was terrified. Why? Because he was in God's presence. On holy ground before a holy God. And somewhat foolishly, almost silly, really, when you think about it, Moses tries to hide his face when he acknowledges God's holiness, as if that, that God there, if he really came to smite Moses down, 
that hiding his face could have somehow protected him from God's wrath. But he was very aware of God's holiness and terrified because of it. And he had good reason to be. Do you remember Moses' history, his past? Do you remember why we find him in Midian shepherding? Because he had fled Egypt after being public enemy number one. Moses, you might remember, or if you're not familiar with the account, was raised in Pharaoh's household. And one day, recognizing that that those who were under slavery were his people, he witnessed an Egyptian abusing, mistreating one of his fellow Israelites. And he had had enough. So he looked this way and he looked that, and, and thinking that nobody was witnessing him, nobody was watching, he murdered the Egyptian. Took his life undoubtedly thinking he was justified in doing so because he was coming to the rescue of his fellow people. Thinking he had gotten away from that or away with that, he was mistaken as he found out very soon thereafter. Coming upon shortly thereafter a a couple of his fellow Israelites arguing and they turned to Moses and said, are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? And Moses was terrified and so he fled to Midian where we pick up in this account. Pharaoh got wind of it as well and was trying to end his life. So do you think that all of this time shepherding since he had fled Egypt, do you think that Moses had forgotten about his past? Absolutely not. Surely that guilt went with him to Midian and here he is in the presence of a holy righteous God undoubtedly wondering, now he has finally come to punish me. He's going to give me what I deserve and he was terrified and rightly so. I wonder when the last time that you have felt that kind of terror over your sin. Do you even remember the last time that you shuddered, that you even shivered the slightest bit over your sin when you consider a holy, righteous God and being in His presence, how that exposes your unholiness? Or do we forget how easily Or do we easily forget how God feels about such sin? Do we forget the instances in the Old Testament where God makes it very clear that while He is patient for a time, His patience will run out when it comes to sin and it will have consequences. Maybe including the earth opening up and swallowing people whole. Maybe fire consuming groups and camps of people or plagues or pestilence doing great damage as well. And we're reminded how serious God is about sin. Do we forget that? And so we understand why Moses was elated, was amazed at the bush, and then suddenly terrified. And then, as you continue in the account, the pendulum swings back the other way into amazement. Because listen as God explains exactly why he was there before Moses in that burning bush. Verse 7 tells the rest of the story. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Amazing! 
God heard His people's cries and He was determined to do something about it. God was going to demonstrate His compassion and He was going to carry out His rescue mission for His people in slavery. Amazing. And probably a great reminder for us that that is actually how God feels when He witnesses and sees our suffering and hardship. Skeptics will, will look at, at Christianity, will look at the world, really, and see all of the suffering and the hardship and the heartache and say, how can you honestly believe that there is a good and loving God with all of this going on? And what a great reminder we have this morning that God actually does care. No, this world in its present stage is not at all what God created it to be. It is a far cry from the perfect, ordered creation. And there is suffering and there is hardship and there is heartache and yes, God cares. So your suffering, whatever it might be that, that God drops on your lap or your plate in any given season of your life, is not evidence of the absence of God. Rather, it is a reminder that God is about to act because God always delivers His people from suffering one way or another in a manner of His choosing. Because God cares. So suddenly, Moses was, again, from terrified to amazed, delighted, thrilled that God was going to carry out this rescue mission. And maybe not surprisingly, if you're picking up on this pattern, the pendulum swings back suddenly the other way from amazement, from excitement, from elation to terror once again. Why? because God revealed how he was going to carry out to this rescue mission. And he says, Moses, you're the guy. In verse 10, So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Wait a minute, God. Slow down here. I was on board with a part about you rescuing the Israelites from slavery. I'm totally 100% in favor of that. But now you're telling me that I'm the one that you're going to use to do that? Can we maybe step back and rethink this? Maybe slavery's not so bad. Maybe they can grin and bear it for just a little while longer because who am I that you would use somebody like me to carry out this rescue mission? In fact, that's exactly the question Moses asks. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Isn't Moses so relatable in that regard? We love the gracious, generous promises of God. We are delighted to see him carry them out. But then suddenly there's a, a little bit of terror when we realize that the way that God so often carries out his promises and is good to us is actually through us. And then like Moses, as you pay attention to the rest of the dialogue at the end of this chapter and continuing on, just like Moses, we come up with 457 reasons why we are not the person for the job. Who am I, after all? 
Think of the, the reasons that, that we have given back to either an individual or to God Himself as He makes it clear to us that there's an opportunity, a, a, an area for, for ministry to match our gifts and step in and serve, particularly as it, as it pertains to congregational ministry, though that is by no means the full scope of the ways that God has called us to serve in marriage, in home, in the workplace, in the community. But specifically when it comes to congregational ministry and the work that we get to do, the work that Matt and, and Whitney are, are now joining us in doing, think of how often we respond when those opportunities become available. Somebody sees that we, we have the gifts, the ability, and, and maybe the, the desire to do something, and they, they ask us and we say, well, but here's three more people, here's five more people, here's ten more people that I'm sure could do it way better than I could. And we defer and we deflect. Or we, we respond with the, well, you know, maybe it would be a good time for somebody new to, to jump in and give somebody else the opportunity to use their gifts. And sometimes that can come from the right place. Other times it's really just me masking, I put in my time, it's somebody else's turn, I'm done, I need a break. And other times we respond with, oh, you know, that sounds like such a great opportunity. I actually would really love to do that. But right now I am so busy in my life and I can't imagine making that work. But maybe let's revisit it at some point in the future. Failing to recognize that our busy lives right now are our own doing. We are busy because we have said yes to all of the things that we have said yes to and nothing's going to change in the future. There's not going to be some magical time in the future where suddenly I have all this free time and availability to serve the Lord in whatever ministry He calls me to. Really, all of those responses are just another way of, of throwing out Moses' question, who am I? Find somebody else. And it's not just congregational ministry, but as I explained in the, the children's message and, and at the beginning of the service, that other type of ministry that we call the public ministry. We know that God has told us that the, the fields are ripe, the harvest is plentiful, we need workers, we need pastors, we need teachers, we need those who are staff ministers to serve as God's representatives to guide and direct and equip in ministry. And what are the reasons that we put that off? Not me. Somebody else. Yeah, maybe I don't know what I'm going to do with my life yet, but I'm pretty sure ministry isn't for me because I could get a much higher paying job. I could do something that would find me much more successful. And teaching sounds fun, but I know if you look at our teachers and any teachers uh, in our church body, you know that their teaching isn't limited to just the start of the school day and the end of the school day, but the hours are much longer and there's always overlap with extended congregational ministry as well. And who am I? I could never get up in front of people and speak or preach a sermon. Lord, not me. Send somebody else. Who am I? How does God respond to us when we throw that question out there? Who am I? He responds the same way that he did to Moses, which is essentially this. Moses, you're asking the right question, who am I? But you're asking it about the wrong person. Don't ask who you are. Ask who I am. I am the one sending you. I am the one who will be with you. And as he said to Moses, simply, I am. How do you even define or explain that definition for your name? Simply, I am. 
What else do you need to know? It's as, if, it's as if God was telling Moses, get over yourself. Even though I'm calling you to ministry, don't think for a second that you're the one getting all of the work done. It's still my work. I'm responsible for blessing it as I see fit. I'm the one responsible for carrying it out. I simply need your hands and your feet and your mouth to do my work. That's how God responded to Moses That's how God responds to us. And it makes perfect sense as you look at the rest of this dialogue between Moses and God. Isn't it interesting that when Moses says, who am I, Uh, this this insecurity or excuse, notice that, that the Lord doesn't turn back to Moses and say, Moses, come on, you're being too hard on yourself. You're good enough. You're smart enough. And God darn it, people like you. You have the gifts. Come on, you just need a little bit of, of, of confidence, Moses. No, that's not what the Lord does. The Lord says, look at me. Look who I am. I, how many eyes are in that section? I am sending you. I am with you. I am. And again, it makes perfect sense because if we want to feel unqualified, If we want to feel ill-equipped for ministry in in any capacity, whether it's public ministry or the ministry that he calls us to as Christians, just look in the mirror and you will see plenty of reasons that you are disqualified from ministry. Because the mirror shows us that not one of us is up to the task on our own merits. See, if God's standard of who he could use for ministry was based on you or me, God couldn't use anybody. His standards would be way too high. But God doesn't say, look in the mirror. He says, look at me. Look who's sending you. And there you have all the confidence you need. And where does this confidence come from? What did God do for you and me to to change our status forever? He qualified us through the cross. It's through the cross that he paid for every sin that would have disqualified us for service or ministry to him. It's at the cross, through the cross, that he has paid for not only our self-absorption, our pride, uh, our self-interest when we so focused on ourselves, but also the other side of the same spectrum, though, that, that part of us that wants to write ourselves off because we aren't good enough. Either way, you're thinking about yourself too much and God says, at the cross, I took care of everything. I have washed away your excuses and anything else that might disqualify you. I have qualified you for ministry. So we carry it out because of who is the one who calls us. We carry it out because he has qualified us. When I carry out the service that he has given to me, it's not about my service, it's about the one who has called me. When we carry out the ministry of his name, it's not about my ministry, it's about his name. When we fulfill his purposes through our calling, it's not about our calling, it's about his purposes. It's always about him. It is his ministry that he calls us to carry out. And it is therefore God himself who qualifies you and me and all of us in his church to do that ministry well. So go. Be the hands and the feet 
and the mouthpieces that God has set you apart and called you to be in ministry. Not who am I, but who is He? He is the one who calls you. He is with you. He is. And that's more than enough. Amen.